Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Jew Podcast, where we dive deep into Torah and Judaism to uncover its hidden beauty. Come join us as we take a closer look and breathe new life into traditional Jewish ideas. And now, here's your host, Rabbi Moshe Siegel. Hello, and welcome to episode 38. I've been putting out an episode a week since January, and I really appreciate everyone who listens to these. Thank you all who have given your feedback and asked questions. I think it really helps create an amazing learning environment. This past week was the first week since January that I wasn't able to post one. And that's because we started building our Ariv here in Richardson, which is super exciting. And we had the construction team doing the pull work last week. So it just ended up not having the time to put one out. We first started planning the Ariv, our community, before I even moved here around four years ago. First contacted the utility company three years ago. So when it's really all happening in front of our eyes now and coming to fruition, it's really been a very special time for our community here in Richardson. That said, I've, a lot of people have asked me about what it takes to build an area of what exactly we're doing with the area of. I figured this would be a great opportunity to discuss exactly what the concept of area is, how it works, why it's necessary, and I hope to actually put out a second podcast this week to make up for the missing one last week. And in the second one, we'll discuss more of a Kabbalistic approach to what the deeper meaning behind Erev is. Let's start from the beginning. The Torah says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 29, it's discussing the manna that fell every day of the week. And the Torah says that on Shabbos, the manna didn't fall. The verse says as follows, Behold, Hashem, God, gave you the Sabbath, and therefore he gave you a double portion of manna on Friday. Therefore, sit at home on the Sabbath and don't leave your place on the Sabbath. The Talmud in Erevin learns from this verse that these words of is referring to carrying something from your place. You'd have to gather the manna which fell outside of your tent. And to carry that from outside of your tent to inside of your tent would be carrying from a public domain to a private domain. So the Talmud learns from this verse that it's prohibited from biblical law to carry something from a public domain to a private domain. And vice versa as well, to carry something from a private domain to a public domain. Now it's important to understand that we only discussed just now two types of domains, a public domain and a private domain. However, in biblical law, there are actually four different types of domains as described in the Tractate of Shabbos. And the Torah prohibition only applies between two of them, between the private domain and the public domain. So it's important to define terms to understand what these domains are and between which of them is there actually a Torah prohibition, a biblical prohibition of carrying. The four types of domains are as follows. A Rishus HaRabim, which is a public domain. A Rishus HaYachid, which is a private domain. A Carmelis, which is somewhere between a private and public domain. It's basically a public space, but it doesn't check all the boxes of the legal definition of a public domain. So it becomes its own category. And the last one is called a Makom Pater, or an exempt domain. Now the Torah only prohibits carrying between a public domain and a private domain. This is important. Now, to be considered a public domain, 
you have to have certain qualifications of how big your city is. And there's different definitions given. One of the classic definitions is you have to have a foot traffic of 600,000 people crossing over the same spot in that area within a 24-hour period. So let's say a certain city doesn't have that much traffic. If let's say you only have 200,000 people crossing it, even though it's clearly a public street, that will not be considered a public domain by the Torah. That will be categorized as a Carmelis. Biblically speaking, one can carry from their private domain into a Carmelis. And therefore, without any area in your city, you can carry from your house out to the street. Because since that street is not considered a public domain according to its biblical definition, it would just be a Carmelis. There would be no prohibition against carrying in that space. Now, the early rabbis realized that a problem is going to come out of this because people will struggle to differentiate between a public space that has 600,000 people in it and a public space that has 200,000 people in it. They'll see people carrying down the street in places with a lot of people and people will just start to think to themselves, it must be okay to carry in public on Shabbos. And that will lead them to carry even in larger biblically defined public domains. So to avoid this confusion, the rabbis instituted a prohibition of carrying from a private domain to a Carmelis. So even a less busy public space, a place that's not prohibited biblically to carry to it, the rabbis came and said, if it's a publicly used area, even if the quantity is of much lower population, it's still prohibited to carry out there on Shabbos. Now, the Talmud teaches us again in Tractate Shabbos that King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of men, came along and he invented the concept of an Eruv. In essence, what he introduced was that if the whole reason why the rabbis don't want people carrying in an area that has 300,000 people is because they're going to get confused, and that will cause a desecration of Shabbos by causing people to think it's okay to carry even in a place that has 600,000. So said King Solomon, we can avoid that confusion by allowing carrying only within an area that has an Eruv. And in this Eruv, everyone will know that we can carry here because it has an Eruv. And no one will ever get confused and go carry in a place that has 600,000 because you can't build an Eruv in a place that has 600,000 because that's a biblical area. And therefore, that area will never have an Eruv and people will know, I can only carry in an area that has an Eruv. So in essence, what King Solomon did was he created this concept of Eruv in order to separate the confusion of a public space that's of smaller population to a biblically defined public domain. So what the concept of Eruv in essence was, it's almost like a 2.0, a second version of the original rabbinic enactment to protect the desecration of Shabbos in a public domain. But rather than saying we can't carry in a Carmelis, the rabbis established a process that would allow you to carry in a Carmelis, but only when that process, which is an Eruv, exists. This is why you'll find that in very large, densely populated cities, you can't really build an Eruv. Because an Eruv can only allow you to carry 
within what is defined as a Carmelis, but not that which is defined as a biblically public domain. So that's basically the history and background as to where Eruvs come from. Now what exactly is an Eruv? An Eruv is really an invisible boundary. In essence, what we're doing is we're enclosing an area and saying that since this Carmelis, this middle ground area that's not quite a public domain, is completely enclosed on all sides, we can view it as if it's really just one large private domain. So in ancient times, like the times of King Solomon, when many cities had walls around them, the walls of the city served as its Eruv. And as long as the city wasn't too large, then the wall was able to create an Eruv around the city, permitting carrying in that city on Shabbos. Even as recent as modern Europe, in the Jewish ghetto was often walled areas that were closed off, and that also can serve as an Eruv. As the modern landscape evolves, walled cities have become less and less popular as we expand outwards, and we find ourselves now in a predicament. How do we build the modern Eruv? So, technically to be considered an enclosed area, it doesn't have to be surrounded by physical walls on all sides. It needs to have what we call halacha walls. So obviously a real wall can also function as a halachic wall. But in addition to that, if you have a door frame, in Hebrew we call it a tzuras hapesach, that can also serve as a halachic wall. So imagine a door frame for a second. What does it look like? You have two door posts on each side and a lintel going across the top of it. Now imagine you put one door frame next to another door frame. So you had two in a row. And then you put another one and then another one until you had a hundred door frames in a row. So even though practically it wouldn't be a great wall in terms of stopping people from passing through it, but it's still considered a halachic wall since each door frame is considered part of the wall. So in the end of the 1800s, when cities started putting up what was then telegraph poles, eventually the modern day utility poles, you can technically use these poles. Let's say you have two poles and you have an electric wire running across the top of them. So that can form the necessary structure to be considered a halachic door frame. You have your two poles will be your two posts, and the wire running across the top of them will be your lintel, and now you have a door frame, and you can have this structure running down for two miles, and now you'll technically have a halachic wall on that entire side or that entire boundary. If we jump to the modern era of today's cities, we, again, obviously, we don't have walls around our cities, so we map out an area using a combination of existing structures as much as possible. So we'll have backyard fences, municipal walls, and utility poles, basically. And through the combination of all of these real walls and halacha walls, we create a complete enclosure, which is what we call an Eruv. Now there's really two main complicated elements to this. Number one, on most utility poles, the wires don't actually run directly overhead. To be considered a door frame in halacha, the lintel has to be directly over the two doorposts. So if you have an electric wire running on the arm on the side of a utility pole, that can't work to create a halachic door frame. That won't work for your Eruv. So what do you do? You have to build a door frame underneath the wire. And different cities will use different materials for this. Some cities will use conduit or wire covers. Some use metal wires, some will use wood, but the concept is the same in all of these places. And that is basically, let's say you're just going to use a wire cover. So you have a piece of plastic or conduit running up your pole, and that will go directly under 
the lowest wire, which is normally the communication wire or the neutral. And then you put one on each pole, on each side, and you've now created your own door frame. You have your own conduit running up each pole or your own wire running on up each pole. And then you have the wire on top of those poles. And now you've created your own halachic door frame. So you don't end up actually even using the utility pole itself anymore in that scenario. The second issue is that you have to connect all the pieces. So let's say you have a stretch of fencing or a municipal wall that goes down for a mile. And then after that, you want to use utility poles in a different direction for a mile. So you have to breach this gap between the end of the wall and the beginning of the pole. Sometimes they're close enough right next to each other that it's considered one continuation, but often there's a separation between them and you have to figure out how we can connect these two areas to be considered one straight connection. So in essence, when you're planning a community Eruv, your first job is to map out the area. Just do a big study of the lay of the land, see how things connect, where the poles run, where you can tap into long distances of fencing or walls, and then see if it's possible to make these connections back and forth. This is really one of the hardest parts because it's honestly not always possible in every area to have everything connect. And often you'll have to cover an area much larger than what you necessarily wanted or need in order to make everything connect and the whole puzzle to fit together. That's really the gist of creating and calculating an area in the more practical sense. Stay tuned and hopefully part two, the more Kabbalistic approach of what the deeper meaning of an area is, will be launched later this week. As always, if you want to see any of the source material inside, it's all quoted in the episode notes. And if you ever have any questions, you can always reach out to me at thethinkingjewpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Thinking Jew Podcast and for taking the time to study Torah and deepen your connection to Judaism. If you found value in today's episode, please leave us a rating or review and subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or topic requests for Rabbi Moshe, please email thethinkingjewpodcast at gmail.com or visit thethinkingjew.com.